You are listening to a Writers at Stanton podcast. Every month, Stanton Library hosts some of the world's most exciting writers and thinkers to discuss their latest books. Thank you for joining us. Stanton Library and the Writers at Stanton program held in conjunction with Constant Reader Bookshop at Crow's Nest. I'm Ian Hoskins, North Sydney Council's historian, and our writer today is Paddy Manning, who is here to talk about his new book, The Successor, The High Stakes, Life of Lachlan Murdoch. Paddy is an award-winning journalist who has worked for News Corp and Fairfax Papers. He's written six books. Body Count, his exploration of the cost of climate change, won the 2021 Victorian Premier's Literary Award for Nonfiction. Well, first let me acknowledge that we're gathered on Camaragal land, part of the Australian East Coast, taken for King George without treaty or compensation, first by James Cook in 1770, and then again by Arthur Phillip in 1788, when half the continent was declared British territory. Camaragal country entered the Sydney property market in 1794, when 30 acres around Kirribilli was granted to Samuel Lightfoot, without any negotiation with the local people. Lightfoot didn't take up residence, but dispossession followed quickly. Unsurprisingly, the influence of media tycoons has increased alongside the rise of newspaper readership in the 19th, from the 19th century. The names Pulitzer, Hearst and Beaverbrook are well known as historical figures. In the late 20th century, Robert Maxwell and Conrad Black gained notoriety as interventionist proprietors and as criminals. Donald Trump pardoned Black after the Canadian wrote a favourable biography of the president. No surprise there. Australia's best-known media barons are Kerry Packer and Rupert Murdoch. The influence of the former was primarily domestic, but the latter definitely international. As Rupert's life nears its end, attention is focused on his first-born son, Lachlan, the subject of Paddy's unauthorised biography. Well, newspapers and their proprietors have long endorsed particular, uh, particular political parties and candidates and reflected political worldviews, both conservative and progressive. However, the world of 2022 is very different to that of 1964, when Rupert Murdoch launched the Australian newspaper. The most obvious changes have been the consolidation of the internet and the rise of social media. And both have assisted in the third point of difference, the collapse of an agreed reality. We live in an age in which both empirical and rational truth is losing out to faith, whether religious or political or both. Where young Lachlan was an affable chap with small L liberal inclinations, the 51-year-old heir apparent to a global empire of newspapers and the hugely influential Fox, Fox Network in the US has joined his father in embracing the faith-based ideology of the new right. So much so that the independent Australian news outlet Crikey felt confident in referring to the Murdochs as the unindicted co-conspirators of the January 6th riots because of the content emanating from their Fox News programs. Lachlan has taken issue with that characterisation and is suing Crikey and several of its staff. Given his deep pockets and Australia's defamation laws, he has a good chance of winning. How did this happen? What does it mean? Let me step aside for today's author to fill in the story. Please join with me in turning your phones to silent and welcoming Paddy Manning. Um, 
I obviously have to be a little bit careful about how much I can say about the crikey case, but I will come to it um, at the end of the talk. Or <clears throat> at the end of the talk, or happy to answer questions. I've worked for Crikey too, by the way. Just as full disclosure, I've worked for News, but also worked for um, Crikey. Uh, I thought today. Um, I would just wing it uh, with you and kind of talk to you about how the book came to be and how, how I wrote it and everything else. And then I went, oh, hang on a second. I wrote 2,000 words of talking points about, um, you know, the, my, my true thoughts on um, the successor and I might as well share those with you. Uh, so uh, forgive me for uh, reading out, uh, but I think this is actually probably going to be the best content I could possibly um, impart because uh, I took it seriously and wrote down every, what I thought about the book. Um, so, um, but I'll start by saying the book wasn't my idea um, and uh, I had written a biography uh, previously of Malcolm Turnbull uh, and, uh, and before that a bio, another unauthorised biography of Nathan Tinkler who some of you might remember at the coal Billionaire. The book was called Boganaire, um, which I, you know, I ripped that off a, a brilliant um, editor actually at the Newcastle Herald, but um, but uh, I credited him. But um, but um, yeah, I had determined not to ever write another un unauthorised biography. It's a thankless task. But uh, Maury Schwartz, who is the um, owner of Black Ink and the Quarterly Essay and the Monthly, which is sort of my stable now, uh, he and the Saturday Paper. Um, he thought, you know, I don't know if any of you remember, but in 2019 there was a New York Times investigation called Planet Fox, big three-part, 20,000-word hit uh, by um, Jonathan Marler and Jim Rutenberg, uh, all about the Murdochs and the succession and the sale to Disney. And, um, and I think at that point also um, the first episodes of the HBO series Succession were um, going to air and Maury went, it's time for us to, someone to do a book on Lachlan. And uh, obviously 50 books about Rupert. Um, in fact, I was told that there's more than 100. Um, so, but no one has done a biography of Lachlan. And when they asked me, I went, mm, okay. Um, so it's a terrifying prospect for a journalist who works in Australia, the most concentrated media, uh, media market in the world, uh, to then go and write about the person who employs more journalists probably than anyone else in the world. Uh, and yet uh, I sort of felt equipped. Uh, I felt equipped because my background is as a business reporter. Uh, Lachlan at the end of the day is a businessman. Uh, and I had, I thought it was a, um, plus, I guess, that I had worked inside the um, Murdoch fold, never close to Lachlan. Uh, never, I only met him once, which was in the car park when he rode past on this fantastic uh, MV Augusta motorbike and I was agog and, um, and I went, what's that? And this bloke turned around in his helmet and I went, oh, Lachlan. <laughs> so I just yelled at the uh, proprietor, my boss. Uh, anyway, yeah, and he, he told me it was an MV Augusta and he's probably chuffed. Uh, but in any case, I had no dealings with Lachlan at that point. When I was, uh, when I was um, 
at Crikey. I was the business editor there. I did interview Lachlan. I saw him on his feet at one of the Channel 10 annual meetings. Uh, he was um, acting chief executive there for a while. Um, I, at the time, to be honest, although Channel 10 was a disaster, I thought Lachlan was pretty uh, convincing as a um, as a um, pretty convincing as a CEO. He had a spiel. He's got that American accent. He was pretty slick. Um, so I thought, yeah, I have, um, you know, I was proud of the journalism that I did at the Australian, and uh, you know, still got good contacts um, there. Um, not to incriminate anyone, uh, but um, and I, and friends who work there, and I felt like, um, yeah, I could do this. I could do this book. I can see why Black is asking me to write it, um, and so I took it on. And of course, um, you know, it came with a um, uh, five-figure advance. So um, so that was also you know uh, helpful to me as a struggling freelance journalist. So. Um, and you never know, this book, uh, it might actually sell. It's the first book I've had that is um, on sale in the US uh, and UK, and, and so it should be, uh, because he is a, obviously an a figure of international importance. Uh, and so, um, so I embarked on this project. It was always going to be unauthorised. Uh, it was always going to be warts and all. It was never predicated on access to Lachlan. But, geez, I tried hard. I really did to, to get the interview with him. And that meant, uh, and what I've said in the publicity for the book is that I have got unprecedented access to Lachlan's inner circle, and, th and that is true. Um, some, in a few cases, uh, people who are close to Lachlan went on the record. People like James Packer, who I interviewed, Cole Allen, uh, and you know a good old friend of um, Lachlan's, Joe Cross, who who used to you know who met him when he was a young, in his twenties, um, in the nineties in Australia, um, and he came fresh out of university here, and you know I used to party on with him and go on some adventures, and I got a few good stories out of Joe, uh, who's who is a good you know decent bloke and a good friend of um, good friend of James Packer as well. Uh, so, but most of the people that I spoke to that were close to Lachlan were speaking to me off the record or on deep background. And that came itself with um, its own challenges. I've never had to do a book based on so much off record, you know, briefing. Hours and hours, multiple sessions, uh, and then I decided that the only way to kind of make use of um, the material that I'd been given was to kind of put it down. I had transcripts, of course, of all these long interviews, put it all down and say, okay, these are the bits that I'd like to use. I don't want to, I don't want to be um, writing a book based on a kind of thought bubble, something that came up in one of our long conversations, um, but that you might not want to stand by. I'm going to put this back to you in writing. Uh, can I quote this as a source close to Lachlan, or can I only t quote this on back? I mean, I can't quote it at all and just use it on background. Uh, and went back and forth. Um, so this whole process um, of engaging with Lachlan's closest advisors, who unfortunately I can't name, uh, this whole process went on for months. And I, I, I hoped. Um, so it was a, a unique experience for me. I've never had to write a book that way. Um, I, I hoped that. Um, I would, at the end of that process, uh, have established enough kind of trust and goodwill um, that 
you know, there might be an interview, a chance to do a couple of sit-down interviews with Lachlan. My rationale was that um, my, my rationale was that uh, I've got the pop gun, he's got the howitzers, like what has he got to fear uh, from my little book uh, and, uh, and who could possibly be more kind of media savvy uh, than, than him, uh, third generation proprietor. Um, so, so anyway, I was told all the way along uh, it was a very slim chance, like, you know, maybe 5%, uh, and I sort of ran with that, but in the end I didn't get the interview. I, I, nonetheless, I believe that I have, uh, through the long kind of briefings and interviews that I did do uh, with the people close to him, that he and all of them speaking to me, obviously, uh, only on his permission, and with the process of kind of going back and forth in writing, uh, I do believe that I've, able, I've been able to understand and represent fairly his point of view on key events in his life story. Um, there's probably stuff I've missed. Um, there's probably stuff I've included that, you know, um, that uh, he might, you know, not like. In fact, I'm sure there is. But, but, uh, but I've, I've done my absolute best to present a fair and balanced uh, book on, on Lachlan. Um, the, the, now, that, that's problematic as well, in a way, because like a lot of people, there's a lot of Murdoch hate um, out there. And uh, I understand that, and, and, and yet, uh, I took the view that there's no point, um, you know, writing 100,000 words of anti-Murdoch rant and calling it a biography. Or, likewise, there's no point, um, you know, just substituting the name Lachlan for Rupert and, um, and you know, writing about, um, you know, a, a, you know, effectively another kind of a, a reheat of all the books that have been done about Rupert. You know, the, the, the challenge for me was to, I think, explain and explore how Lachlan was different to Rupert uh, and what that might mean for the future of the business. Obviously, um, the business has a huge impact in, on us here in Australia and it also has a huge impact in the United States and the UK. Uh, and, you know, uh, I think there's, and I think the media coverage that I've had for this book, book already, uh, mind you, it's not out in the US yet, it's coming out in a fortnight there, but I think the media coverage suggests, yeah, people are well aware um, that, you know, Lachlan is the person that is going to be carrying, um, you know, running this business going forward. Uh, and now, at the same time, uh, so, but it, there's a question as to whether producing a fair and balanced book um, is actually going to kind of sate the appetite for, uh, you know, a, an anti-Murdoch diatribe. I don't know. I don't know. I've decided, uh, and a reviewer um, yesterday in Inside Story said, uh, which I was chuffed at, said uh, that Manning, you know, basically leaves it up to the reader to form their own opinion. And I think that's the best way to respect the reader, um, is to kind of do the research, lay out the facts as best as I can obtain them uh, and then leave it up to you to make your own decisions. Um, so it's not, I'm not going to force my opinion about Lachlan um, 
you know, on you. I'm going to try and um, show in a nuanced and accurate way um, how he came to the position that he's in now uh, and what shaped him along the way and, and then hopefully, um, based on that, you know, we can all kind of think about how, um, what, what, the, what are the implications of that you know, going forward. So uh, it's not a book about Fox News. It's not a book about Rupert. It's not a book about Trump. It's not a book about Tucker Carlson. It's a book about Lachlan Murdoch. And, and so I might as well start talking about Lachlan. By the way, I think it, the reason why a, a, a book hasn't been done on Lachlan Murdoch by now, I mean, bear in mind he's been the CEO of Fox Corporation for three years. I think the reason why uh, a book hasn't been done is because he spent so much time in Australia. So um, we're very aware of Lachlan here uh, because he's been coming back and forth, um, you know, since he was first out of university back in, he arrives here in 1994. Uh, he loves Australia. Uh, and I think for American journalists, that it's a bit hard for them to um, get a handle on things like Super League, things like OneTel, things like Channel 10, things like Nova, things like realestate.com.au. These are the big kind of, you know, um, corporate, um, you know, plays that he's been involved with and uh, in Australia and that have really shaped his career. Uh, and, and yet for an American journalist, you know, I mean, they have um, excellent journalists that have done a hell of a lot of work on the Murdochs. But for an American journalist, uh, you know, James is in New York, um, Liz is in London, but it's Lachlan who has spent so much time down here. And I think, and so I think it's taken an Australian journalist to do this book. I don't think it's an accident. Um, that it's been published here first. Uh, one of the things that I um, have kind of, uh, I hate to say, say the word proud, but uh, I, came, I landed on this concept, which I think um, is useful in understanding her, her, Lachlan, how his politics might differ, um, or how he might reconcile what he describes as his social liberalism but economic conservatism uh, with you know, the output of Fox News, particularly in prime time. Can I just ask before I go on, how many people watch Fox News here? Smattering? No. Uh, the only way I can get it um, I don't, is through a new streaming service called Flash. Uh, I don't pay for Foxtel. So um, can I ask how many people watch Sky News? Be, you'd expect more. Um, in any case, uh, Fox News, Fox News uh, in its prime time programming is pretty, is pretty out there. Um, the biggest star uh, is Tucker Carlson. He has, since the downfall of Roger Ailes and the, you know, Bill O'Reilly, the disgrace... Sorry, I keep kicking this table. Um, the, the disgrace, um, you know, the, of you know, his um, sexual harassment, his own sexual harassment um, scandal. Um, and 
since that since 2016, Tucker Carlson has had a stellar rise. He's now the highest rated um, anchor that they have. And he's also, according to New York Times investigation earlier this year, that did an analysis uh, of every um, episode of Tucker Carlson tonight over the last five years. Uh, it's the most racist cable program, according to the New York Times, in the history of cable. Uh, he, he has openly talked hundreds of times about the great replacement theory, which is that uh, the Democratic Party wants to replace uh, the white electorate through immigration. Uh, uh, he, so, I mean, that's just a, a, a that's just a, oh, I won't talk much more about Tucker. I mean, Lachlan has been quoted saying, um, you know, off the record, um, that he, he found Tucker's um, Patriot Purge series um, troubling. So, Patriot Purge was a series about the three-part series on, that streams on Fox Nation, which is their super fans kind of, you know, hard, hardcore, um, uh, streaming service that they have in, in the America. Um, Tucker Carlson, in the, if you just, just watch the promo for Patriot Purge, uh, it talks about whether um, the um, January 6th insurrection was a false flag operation. Um, it downplays the significance of the insurrection. And it went to air towards the end of last year, well before any of the hearings of the January 6th um, committee in Congress that have kind of shock the world uh, and and uh, and you know a more recent series by Tucker Carlson is about you know the end of men um, you know because those white nationalists they're sort of obsessed with the white male birth rate um, and you know why is it declining and Tucker gets into testicle tanning and how you can improve your sperm counts I mean it is it is out there stuff and uh, and yet he is, so he's endlessly controversial. That's his business model, um, if you like. And uh, you know, it's a, it's he's the latest in a series of you know I th constantly default to the idea of a shock jock. You know that they've had on air, whether it's Glenn Beck or Sean Hannity or you know Bill O'Reilly or now it's Tucker. Uh, but I think that Lachlan and and Lachlan and Tucker are supposedly great mates. Okay, so. Um, Tucker uh, boasts that he says what he wants. He doesn't have to cl clear his scripts um, with, uh, with anyone, management, anybody. Uh, his producers and he just have a ha absolute free reign. Uh, he has that licence because Lachlan allows it. Lachlan bristles at the idea that he runs Fox News. He doesn't. He, you know, and I, I came a cropper with him uh, over some um, publicity material at one point where, um, where uh, the US publisher, just by mistake, had described in some promotional material Lachlan Murdoch as the CEO of Fox News. And they went ballistic uh, because they said, he's the CEO of Fox Corporation. That's a completely different thing. And I then had to explain to the publisher Yes, it's true that Lachlan is the CEO of Fox Corporation and Suzanne Scott is the CEO of Fox News. However, um, Suzanne reports directly to Lachlan and Fox Corporation owns Fox News and Lachlan could change the, um, uh, you know, any single aspect of Fox News at will if he wanted to. So you have to assume that everything that goes, you know, the most outrageous of, you know, Tucker Carlson or, you know, uh, Janine Pirro or um, 
uh, Jesse Waters or uh, any of those, you know, Laura Ingram, any of those prime time anchors, uh, that you have to assume that they um, they say what they say because they and they go to where because Lachlan allows it. Now, how does he rationalise that? Why, why do his why do Lachlan's people um, want to impress? upon me as his biographer, that he would still regard himself as socially liberal but economically conservative. Uh, I, I really struggled with that. I, I, but I think I came up with a good um, analogy, which is the, I think it's almost as though there's a cab rank rule for media proprietors. In, in, in Lachlan's mind, uh, there is, you know, the quality of public debate is improved by a diversity of voices. Uh, and the whole of the American mainstream media, and I think this is an article of faith for the Murdochs, not just Lachlan, but Rupert and, and perhaps others of his siblings as well. Uh, but the whole of the American media skews left uh, in their view, and so it behoves uh, the Murdochs uh, to you know, have a centre-right um, media empire. So I'm not saying I agree with that, but I think that's what the Lachlan believes. And uh, so he's, he, he sees it, he, as he sees it, he's got a responsibility to represent the centre-right, or otherwise they would go un unrepresented. And the, and the evidence um, that they cite, it, and it's kind of there for all to see, is the ratings, is the huge, is the huge, I mean, Fox News dominates uh, cable television in America. And, uh, you know, it's got Fox News first and then CNN, uh, MSNBC, um, second and third by, you know, there's daylight between them. Uh, so, so, now whether that washes is not, that's just one of those points where I suspend judgment, it's not for me to judge. Whether that washes is up for, you know, it's a personal matter, it's up, for, up to the reader to decide. I think, and I, you know, one of, the th one of the things that I was able to reveal in the book is that there is certainly now an alignment uh, amongst Lachlan's siblings uh, that Fox News has kind of gone too far, uh, strayed from centre-right opinion, uh, to misinformation. It's straight to misinformation on uh, the big lie around the 2020 election. It's straight to misinformation on climate change and we've seen um, James Murdoch and Catherine, his wife, publicly criticise uh, you know, the Fox News uh, and certain of the other you know, uh, Murdoch media titles, including in Australia after the Black Summer, uh, criticise, criticise them uh, over climate change, and, and James quit the board of News Corporation. Uh, you know, it had a huge impact on vaccine resistance amongst the Republican, its Republican audience in the states. So um, there's a study that just came out quite recently that looked at why uh, Republicans were less vaccinated and therefore dying at a faster rate um, from COVID um, than Democratic voters, and that. A lot of that comes down to Fox, you know. So um, their vaccine scepticism, uh, their railing against mask mandates and other kind of public health measures, even while they were implementing, they were militant about COVID inside the workplace. Uh, that, you know, uh, I think that has that has strayed from centre right opinion to misinformation. 
And, uh, and, and so I think that under, undermines Lachlan's argument. And I think there's another, there's another kind of disconnect um, for Lachlan, which is he and his family have chosen um, in the wake of COVID to come and live here. Uh, he, he has decided with um, his wife, Sarah, that uh, it's a safer place, healthier place to bring up their kids, their three kids, teenage kids. So why is that? Uh, now, I, I wasn't able to get Lachlan or his um, representatives to kind of answer that for me, but I think that's partly because it's a difficult question for them to answer. How come Australia is a better place uh, to bring up kids? Is it because we don't, you know, we've got strict gun laws, uh, you know, the kind of thing that Fox resists uh, in America? Is it because, you know, we have a, a vaccination rate of 95% and yet Lachlan will come here and talk about, uh, you know, in the launching of a Tony Abbott's, you know, Centre for the Australian Way of Life, he'll talk about um, our freedoms and how they're being compromised through the pandemic. Uh, but, you know, uh, our death rate is a tenth of the um, death rate in America uh, from COVID. So I, I think there's a disconnect there. Um, but I think that the way Lachlan sees it, uh, is he doesn't agree with everything that um, goes to air on Fox News. It doesn't necessarily represent his uh, opinion, but he's not going to start airing his opinion, his private opinion, he, because he believes that if he does that, and he's allergic to groupthink, uh, and if he does that, uh, he'll be, his views will be parroted by his um, editors, producers, you know, reporters around the world, uh, and he's better off keeping his views to himself. So, um, so I, I think that is a, that's the, best, the closest I've come, um, short, to, short of having him here and telling us himself, um, that's the closest um, I've come to understanding the way uh, he rationalises uh, his, uh, you know, what he promotes uh, through, through and publishes through um, Fox News and his other outlets. Um, what, one of the things that I do also um, document in the book is how hands-off he is. It's one of the things that's quite different, to, uh, between, different between father and son. Rupert is famously interventionist. He used to um, terrorise his editors around the world with the telephone. He would call them up at any hour from any part of the world, one part of the world to another, to grill them about a front-page story or about a circulation figure or an advertising figure or... Uh, you know, he was he was constantly, um, constantly engaged. Uh, Lachlan, I think, is is less of a journalist in his bones than Rupert. Uh, Rupert, uh, you know, the foundational act of journalism for the Murdoch family is Keith um, Keith Murdoch. Uh, his original Gallipoli letter, um, which I. Um, do I, I don't know whether I should go into that, but this was a letter that broke censorship rules in, at, at the time of the Gallipoli uh, invasion uh, that was sent back to Australian Prime Minister Andrew Fisher, um, written by um, Ke Sir Keith, who was there as a um, special kind of co correspondent on behalf of the Australian government, and wrote back how, what a disaster the invasion was turning into. Uh, that helped trigger the replacement of the general in charge and also the withdrawal from um, Anzac Cove. So uh, the Murdochs are extremely proud of that. Uh, and Lachlan has given speeches about it and, and about the lasting significance of it. Um, 
that, that it's, it's a kind of campaigning journalism that, that, that is in their DNA. Uh, he, he, um, Lachlan has never actually had a byline. Unlike Keith or Rupert, um, he, he has not worked as a journalist uh, on the news floor. I mean, when he was publisher of the New York Post, one of the people that I interviewed was the national political editor, um, Greg Birnbaum, who said, uh, yeah, Lachlan had no presence on the news floor. He was not, he's not a kingmaker the way, um, the way Keith and Rupert were throughout their careers. I don't think he aspires to be. I think all he wants is to make more money to grow the business, to grow profits, and that's what, that's what he's focused on. He's a, he's a businessman first and foremost. Uh, and I think that's one of the key differences. If I had to sum up what I found out in this book, uh, uh, it, would be, um, it would be that, about Lachlan, it would be that he's not his father. He's not the same. Uh, he, he is often described as to the right of Rupert. I, I, I don't, I'm not sure, still not convinced uh, that that's the case, uh, but, in any, but it's sort of not relevant. He is certainly uh, interested in growing the profits of uh, his you know, uh, family's, the way he sees it, a family business, and he, um, he is not going to tinker with a formula that's making them so much money. Um, I've hardly referred to my written notes, in fact. Um, so I, I hope that's okay. I hope that what I've said, because uh, I'm getting a wind up, I think I've spoken already for 25 minutes, I could probably keep going for another three hours at this rate. Um, so, but it would be better if I threw it over to you to ask questions. So please ask me anything. Um, and I don't think I actually got to the crikey case. So maybe that should be the first question. Or Ian, do you want to ask me yourself? No, I'll leave it to the, to the audience to ask the questions. I yeah. shouldn't be asking questions and take up time. What I will do is ask you to speak loudly because it's all been recorded and I don't want to pass the microphone around because we're kind of still in the age of COVID. And Patty, maybe you can repeat the question so everyone can hear and people can hear online. Did, did I? There was one there and then one over there. Yeah. yeah please, madam. Um, okay, so I'm asked, why did Lachlan uh, consistently refuse to give me an interview? I think, you know, he would prefer um, to have an authorised biography done of him. The Murdochs have a long history, actually, with biographers. Um, I was told that the well was poisoned for me by Michael Wolfe, who wrote The Man Who Owns the News uh, about the uh, Rupert's takeover of the Wall Street Journal. Uh, and had incredible access to the family, all sides of the family, and to people uh, you know, closely involved in the deal and close to the Murdochs. And they felt that they got done over by that book. If you read that book, and I recommend it, it's a rattling read. It's fantastic. It gallops along. Um, and there's sweeping characterisations and pithy you know, quotes, and it's, all, it's a galloping read. But it's written with um, what is described often um, when people talk about Wolf's uh, writing style, 
is omniscience. It's sort of like you can't tell what is the evidence for or the evidentiary basis of any particular um, comment, fact, event. You know, how, do he, how does he know? It's not, you know, super closely referenced. Uh, and so, and Michael himself has kind of um, made the point, he was quoted in the New York Times saying, if it rings true, it is true. And I kind of go, what? <laughs> Beg your pardon? You can't do that. You can't say that. And because I think of myself as a reporter. So um, unfortunately, if there are bits of the story that are boring but important, I'll give them just as much weight as the, you know, salacious, um, you know, galloping stuff. So, um, so um, I, but I think that makes for a more informative book uh, because it's no point reading a great read if you're not quite sure if it's true. Uh, you know, so I, so that's one thing. That's one take. Is that look? They've given up on um, unauthorized books. Um, they they won't they won't cooperate. The other take is, um, yeah, they don't um, like. I think there was a there's one uh, authorized bi biography of um, Keith that was never published uh, because it was never they were never happy with it. I think there was also one of Dame Elizabeth. Um, there might have been authorised, uh, I think, um, Rupert, you know, the William Shawcross book uh, on Rupert that came out in the wake of the, um, in 1990, early 90s, just after he almost lost the whole company with the um, B Sky B. Um, uh, that was close to authorised. Um, Shawcross gave the Murdochs a copy of the manuscript. And, um, and to read, Rupert said he didn't read it, but um, he did kind of give it a tacit thumbs up by saying Shawcross was a great journalist. And, um, and Shawcross turned up at his 90th birthday party in England. So they're still mates. You know, he's never on the payroll, but he was still mates. So I think that, um, yeah, the Murdochs are also very selective about who, who they will talk to. Uh, as you'd expect, and I didn't. I'm not on their radar as one of their favourite journalists. Um, so uh, I think they would probably view it as, um, you know, I'm some kind of upstart who wants to, you know, uh, trade off their name. Uh, I, I actually don't. I had a sense of dread about the whole project for the last two years, uh, and um, it's not fun. Uh, but I did think it was an important public interest project and one that few journalists would take on, so, so I did it. Um, I think he should have given me an interview. I think he should have because his views would be better represented if he had. Simple as that. And, uh, and, and yet he didn't. And I read, uh, there was a horror story. Um, I, one of my publishers sent me an academic article by one woman who spent seven years trying to write the authorised biography of Andrew Forrest and he was never happy with it and so it never saw the light of day. So she ended up writing a scholarly article about the frustrations of writing an authorised biography. I feel for her, you know, I'm in and out, I'm done in two years um, and, you know, it was part time, it's not the only thing I've been doing but, you know, that was a lot of work but it's only two years, not seven and, uh, and you know, he, um, you know, touch wood, uh, so far, we've had no. Oh, sorry. Um, so far, we've had no, um, you know, legal letters. Uh, I, I hope it's all been legal. I hope that you know. I hope that we don't spend the next year in court defending the book. 
but it's possible. But um, touch wood, we won't. And uh, you know, maybe, maybe I'll get an interview in the future. You know, um, so if he's listening, Lachlan, if you're listening, talk to me. There's one over here on your right, Paddy. Well, um, because I'm also Turnbull's biographer, I'm the only journalist Turnbull won't talk to in Australia. <laughs> you can pretty much anyone can ring up Malcolm and get a quote on any subject any day of the week, except Paddy Manning. Uh, so, so Malcolm, he he and I swapped emails, and you know, at the end of the day, what Malcolm said to me is, um, you know, he did say, "Yeah, come on, we'll 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 sit down," and then he said, "Look, on better second thoughts, maybe not." And so anyway, I, I, he basically said to me, um, "Read my book," which of course I had read his book. In fact, I listened to it on one and a half speed because Mal Malcolm reads it himself. He reads it very well, uh, but I just I had to, I kept going 1.15, 1.25, 1.5. It's quite a big book, uh, but um, but yeah. Um, so Malcolm does certainly um, lump um, Lachlan in with, with Rupert. Uh, he, he, you know, ended up, at the, you know, the critical scene in his book is him pleading for his prime ministership with Rupert on the phone and Lachlan listening. Uh, and, you know, it's a, it's a uh, distressing kind of, for any, um, you know, lover of democracy to think that uh, a prime minister would be you know, sort of on their knees, um, begging for to retain the leadership. Um, it's a horrible picture. I don't actually believe, to be honest, to be honest, I don't believe that the Murdochs took Turnbull down. Myself, you know, if you ask my opinion, I think he was undone by his own party and he was undone by his own leadership. And you know, uh, I don't think you can blame Lachlan uh, or Rupert. Um, Rudd was quite different. Rudd, Rudd did do an interview with me, and I've quoted him in the book, and um, he's going to launch um, my book in Brisbane, uh, kindly, uh, which I'm looking forward to. He, he, he said to me, because I was telling him, oh, look, you know, Lachlan's people are telling me that he you know, still regards himself as socially liberal and economically conservative, you know, and he, says, he said to me, and it was a great quote, I thought, who is this moderate Lachlan of which you speak? <laughs> I have never known moderate Lachlan. It's an entirely confected image. And so that puts me back in my chair, you know, because I go, am I being had here? You know, and, and it's, possible that, it's possible that I have been had in the sense that I've tried to include that in the book. Um, so... Uh, yeah, I think Rudd believes... I mean, he, he's calling for an, a, a royal commission, a Murdoch royal commission. Um, I think that's a... Again, I'm straying into opinion here, but, I mean, that's the point of a talk, I suppose, an author talk. But I think that's a dangerous precedent, right? A progressive government gets in and launches a, a royal commission into the conservative media. Um, so what happens when the next conservative government gets in and what do they launch? An inquiry into the progressive media? I mean, what... What, we just had an inquiry into media diversity. Uh, that was an important inquiry. Um, you know, the reality is the Murdoch monopoly dates back to a decision by Paul Keating in 1987 to allow Murdoch to buy the Herald and Weekly Times. Um, why, did, why did they wave that through in 1987? 
That's when he got two-thirds of the circulation of newspapers in the country. Uh, so, um, yeah, I'm not sure whether um, uh, there is a, you know, certainly Albanese's not interested in having a Murdoch Royal Commission. Labor is not interested in doing it now. Um, yeah. So, I'm sorry, that's a roundabout answer, but yeah, I did talk to both of them. There's a question here, Paddy. Oh, yep. sorry, yeah, hi. Oh, and I didn't repeat that question. I forgot, I should have. Anyway, I'll repeat this one. When you hear his... Right, okay. Yes, but I have to, sorry, I've just asked the siblings, did I have any contact or input from the siblings? Lachlan's um, older sister, Prue, who from the Rupert's first marriage to Patricia Booker, and then Liz and James, who are both his, you know, sister and brother, um, mother, uh, kids of Anna. So, um, so uh, the answer is yes, but like everything, it was all extremely, um, you know, they are extremely guarded. Uh, it was all indirect through intermediaries and not for quoting, you know. So it's kind of like, oh, what do I do with that? How do I, you know. So I've, I have ended up, again, back on the email going, all right, you told me this off the record. How can I use it? Can I write it this way? And... And I have got to a point where, yes, okay, all right, you can write that. Now, one of the stories, one of the scoops out of the book is that the, um, and that's, this has been picked up by the Guardian and Vanity Fair in the last couple of weeks, uh, is that, is that the, the siblings are determined to exercise control of the Murdoch Family Trust once Rupert passes. So the structure of the trust is there's eight votes, Rupert's got four, and each of those four elder siblings have got one each. That's... 5-3 at the moment, Rupert plus Lachlan equals 5, the other three are aligned and waiting because when Rupert dies, his four votes go with him and they will then have majority control of the Murdoch Family Trust. And they are determined to exercise that and these are the words that I was given, I'll read them out to you verbatim. Um, they are determined to manifest control over all of the Murdoch businesses and to do it in a way that enhances democracies around the world rather than undermining them. Dead serious about it, not interested in selling out, dead serious that that's what they intend to do. Oh, there's a question at the back there. And one, one there. So maybe the last two questions, one and two. You're asking, did they change? Okay, so the question is, did my own views and in the process of writing this book change about you know media regulation in Australia? Um, and um, you know, I touched on you know, okay, I've got a problem with the idea of a Murdoch Royal Commission. Um, the answer is. Uh, not really. Uh, I think that the structure of the Australian media... I mean, I spent most of my time in this book trying to understand, better understand the American media. Uh, and, 
you know, because that I have not written about, you know, American politics much before or about the American media um, in the past. So uh, trying to understand and really, really understanding how Trump came to be and, you know, why are they, why it looks like America could be heading towards a civil war, no word of exaggeration. So, uh, and why, you know, why is Fox News the way it is and understanding the asymmetry that exists in the American media between Fox on the one hand and all the other major cable networks and broadcasters on the other. And so understanding that. Um, in Australia, I think, um, I don't know what the answer is at all um, because we've had endless inquiries. Um, you know, the media diversity inquiry really just recommended another inquiry. Uh, and you kind of, we're kind of just banging our head, heads up against the wall. I don't think um, there is the political will to break up news corporation, for example. Um, you know, news corporation has actually, in the last few years, pioneered a new revenue stream um, for, uh, for Australian, to prop up Australian journalism through the mandatory bargaining code uh, that, um, you know, gets digital platforms like Google and Facebook to pay for the news that they, that gets shared on their platform. That's, that's uh, an important new revenue stream to support journalism in Australia. It supports the ABC, it supports um, news, it supports Fairfax, um, what's left of Fairfax and the line. Uh, so, so, um, you know, the problem in Australian media has been, uh, I mean, where do you start? But the problem has been, you know, the hollowing out of newsrooms, you know, the, the, loss, the loss of a revenue um, to support journalism. And the news has actually, News Corporation has actually helped um, in, in, that, in that sense. Um, I, I can't see, you know, far from breaking up News Corporation, um, what they have, what, the, what has happened in the last few years is that um, Sky News has expanded its footprint uh, to, into regional Australia. They've now got a million homes that get Sky News. Uh, and so uh, it only seems to be going in one direction to me. Um, and, and that is that News Corporation is, is getting more commercially powerful. Um, propped up, whether it's by realestate.com.au or propped up by overseas operations. The funny thing is that even as they get, and this is where Rudd is, I think, right, even as they get more powerful, they seem to have less influence. Like, how many people, young people, read the Daily Telegraph or the Herald Sun? You know, um, and w why is it that if they back the coalition in 30 out of the last, you know, 35 elections, or whatever the statistic is, it's overwhelmingly biased towards the coalition, um, the editorial stance of all of their mastheads around the country. And yet we have a, we soon could well have, depending on what happens in the next New South Wales election, we could well have a pretty much Labor dominated uh, country, state and federal. So uh, there's an odd kind of dynamic there. I, I'm not sure that um, regulation is the answer to what's wrong with the Australian media. And I'd, I'm not, you know, we are a small market. Um, yeah, I, th I think there's, I think it's gonna be, it's about new voices. I mean, and that maybe brings in Crikey, the importance of Crikey, uh, because um, you'd need the independent voices. Uh, and some, anything that supports them, whether it's, you know, it's such a pity what's happened to the Judith Nelson Institute, that kind of implosion, because any, any sort of support for independent media 
um, is vital. Uh, I think, whether it's the monthly or whether it's Crikey or whether it's the Guardian or whether it's you know, anyone that's presenting an alternative to the um, uh, ABC, Fairfax and um, news, uh, I think is a good thing. One last question there, Paddy. Just Uh, well, I'm, I'm sure, so the question is, is there a side to Lachlan that I haven't explored, like if you portray him as simply interested in business, but what about, is there, is there a more, I guess, more charitable side or, a, you know, evidence of, uh, I suppose, well, now I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I suppose, you know, a social conscience. I think you said do something for his fellow man. So I think Lachlan's view is that he and his journalists do something for um, their fellow man uh, every day. Like, he believes in the journalism um, to an extent. You know, like, his, I remember him giving an interview about, do you remember that really controversial Daily Telegraph um, story, The Class We Failed? Front page, I think it was Mount Druitt High, and they put it on the front page, and Cole Allen was the editor, and... Uh, and it led to a celebrated uh, defamation case, actually, because there was an argument that they defamed those kids, um, and that played out in court. But Lachlan made the point in one interview that stuck with me. He thought it was a perfect example of a story that the other media wouldn't touch, but which had a huge uh, impact, a social benefit to those kids, uh, because it led to a huge reinvestment in education in the western suburbs by the state government at the time. So that, that's where I think Lachlan believes that the Murdoch media makes a difference. He thinks uh, that the Hunter Biden laptop story is a perfect example of, you know, which, bro which was broken by the New York Post, uh, a, a story that no other media would touch. Um, and they didn't. You know, he said it was censored. He said in his speech earlier this year to the Centre for Australian Way of Life that I mentioned earlier, he said it was censored by everybody. You know, they were accused of purveying misinformation, uh, but it turned out two years later they've been vindicated. The contents of the hard drive were genuine, um, and you know, Hunter Biden's influence, influence peddling uh, is subject of an FBI investigation in the United States, an important public interest story. Um, that no other media in, the, in America would touch. I think that's where Lachlan believes that his, um, his work is important and is beneficial. Of course, like all of these billionaires, um, they do also have a charitable, a philanthropic kind of um, interest. You know, uh, probably there are some that don't. I don't know. But, um, but he, he, he and Sarah have um, consistently backed the Murdoch Children's Research Institute with millions of dollars. Sarah's on the board. I mean, think she, she has also been on the board of the Breast Cancer um, Foundation. Uh, she has, you know, so they do do um, a lot of philanthropic work as well of the, that, that goes unreported, um, uh, definitely. And I don't give it a huge amount. See, to me, if you've got a billionaire who is paying no tax, but gives, you know, when they should be paying 
25% say or 30, um, but they actually are paying 3%. And then they give 1% of their wealth away every year to charity. It does, is that, do, they, do they get a round of applause for that? Uh, I don't think they do. You know, I think they should be paying their taxes like everyone or the rest of us. Um, and so, so okay, that's, that's my honest response. Yes of, yes, of course there is a philanthropic side to Lachlan, and I'm sure, you know, he's, pe people who've met him say he's a great guy. Really, not, really well-mannered, humble, um, you know. Uh, obviously, he's got a ruthless edge. Uh, he's got a hell of a lot of power. He's incredibly rich. He's very good-looking. Uh, you know, he's, you know, um, but they say he's got great manners, and, um, and so I suppose that's... <laughs> That's something. That's, something. <laughs> that's a good note to end on. We're out of time. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's great answers. Thank you, Paddy. Please join me in thanking Paddy. Man. Thank you very much. And, and you're up for signing some books up the back there? Oh, yeah, that's right. And also, if you do want to actually buy a copy, I'm just going to be up there signing them at the back. Great. Yeah, and you may be able to ask another question or two. <laughs> that was really great. Thank Did you. that work? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, good. We hope you have enjoyed spending your time with us. Catch up with more of our audio recordings and relive the discussion, insights and laughter of writers at Stanton. To find out more about our other events and programs, please visit www.northsydney.nsw.gov.au forward slash library. Thank you for listening.